Well, welcome to Living Hope Church. We're so glad you joined us this morning. If you have children kindergarten to third grade-ish, and they are going down to Children's Church, uh, they can dismiss out the back with Miss Tammy and Mr. Steve. Uh, if you have children that are going to stay with us, uh, and they would like to uh, follow along, there's a sermon notes on the back table that goes along with the sermon for your kids. Uh, they're free to grab one of those and fill it out, and then come see me afterwards, and I'll have candy for them. Or there's a whole bunch of activities on the back table that your children are free to grab and take back uh, to their seat. Well, last week we kicked off our new series that we're simply titling The Exodus. Uh, and in this series, we are looking at God's goodness, faithfulness, and graciousness that plays out in the Exodus story. Uh, we kicked off last week's sermon by looking at the faith of Moses' mom, Jochebed, and God's incredible provision for her uh, and for Moses and the Hebrew people. God not only uses Jochebed's faith to save Moses' life, but he provides abundantly and perfectly for the future call that he has for Moses. God desired and was going to use Moses to lead his people out of Egyptian captivity 80 years down the road. And he was providing for that call from the beginning. In the beginning last week, we saw God spared Moses' life in the river from uh, Pharaoh's decree to kill every Hebrew baby. Then Moses was discovered by the daughter of Pharaoh who had compassion on him despite her father's decree. Then God provided abundantly when Pharaoh's daughter gave Moses back to his mom, Jochebed, to care for until he was weaned and ready to come to the palace. During this time, Moses received the biblical foundation he would need to know God, love God, and have faith in God. Then Moses went to the palace of Pharaoh where he received the best that Egypt had to offer. He was trained in Egyptian writing, mathematics, law, military, conduct, and government. He was being prepared to lead his people out of Egypt by the Egyptians themselves. He knew just what to do because he was an insider. He was being prepared to record the law and history of his own people by the Egyptians as a child. God was uniquely preparing Moses for his call, for his future plans for his life. Now, very little of this was easy, but God's hand was clearly evident in it all. And so today we're going to jump ahead to Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 4 and Moses' call in the burning bush. But before we get there, we need a, a little bit of context from the tail end of Exodus chapter 2. When we left last week, Moses was a young child, maybe four or five years old, and he was headed to Pharaoh's court. Well, he grew up in the court and he had the best of everything in training and schooling as we talked about. Acts 7, though, tells us that at the age of 40, it all changes for Moses. He has grown up and he, he looks out and he sees the Hebrew people, his own people, being beaten by the Egyptians and something in him snaps. He's angered by what he sees. He, he feels for his people and he strikes the Egyptian that is abusing the Hebrew. And when he strikes him, Exodus 2 says he kills him. He looks around and he buries the man in the sand. And for a day, he thought, maybe I've gotten away with this. But by the next day, as it so often is in a small town, it is the talk of the town. Pharaoh finds out and he is enraged, so Moses flees to the desert town of Midian. And there in the town of Midian, by the well, he meets his future wife. His future wife just so happens to be the daughter of the priest there in Midian. And once again, Moses is given the opportunity to learn of God's faithfulness and to hear the history of his own people. Now, when you hear Midian, don't get excited. Midian is not the center of the known world. Midian is a dry desolate, small, miserable place. One commentary I read this week said the reason that God chose to, spoke, to speak to Moses from a bush is because it was the only thing that was living 
in Midian. It was a nowhere, no rain, miserable place. So Moses is a murderer. He is 40 years old and he lives in Midian with no real career or future. And Moses' stock doesn't get any better. Stephen in Acts 7 tells us it'll be another 40 years before God will send him back to Egypt. So as we pick up in Exodus chapter 3, Moses is now an 80-year-old man who, when he was last in Egypt, led, uh, fled from a murder charge. And we're going to see he doesn't even own his own land or his own herd of sheep. He's just tending his father-in-law's sheep at the age of 80. The world would describe Moses as a loser, but God has great plans for his life. And God has been using each of his years in obscurity to prepare him for what lies ahead. At the tail end of Exodus chapter 2, it says that the Pharaoh died and the oppression grew worse for the Hebrews. They cried out to God and he heard their prayers and God knew it was time to fulfill his covenant with his people to return them to the promised land. So that's where we pick up in Exodus chapter 1 or Exodus chapter 3 verse 1. It says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, not even his own sheep the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. I'm going to stop right there just briefly after verse 1. The NIV says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, but I love the way the New Living Translation says it. It says, One day Moses was tending the flock of Jethro. That's exactly how God calls us. It doesn't say on some amazing experience God called Moses. It doesn't say on the seventh day of the seventh month there was a special moon and riding in the sky. But it says just one ordinary day as Moses was tending the flock of Jethro. Moses had no idea his life was about to change forever that day. It was just a normal day. Just a day like every day the last 40 years. Sometimes I think we, we expect God to, to speak to us or call through us through something dramatic. But that's rarely how it goes down. He doesn't usually call us through visions. He doesn't call through handwriting on the wall. He doesn't call through cloud writing, but he calls through the nudging of a friend. He calls through a verse or a teaching popping into our head that we can't shake. He calls through opportunity. He calls by welling up compassion or a love for people in our hearts. He calls on ordinary, everyday days. And when I say call, I don't just mean a call to lead people from Egypt, but, but calling can be a call to serve at church, a call to share Jesus with someone, a call to go to a neighbor's and help. It can be a, a call to ministry. But God calls us all to serve him and share his hope with the world. It looks different, but it comes on ordinary, everyday days. On an ordinary day, he calls Moses to be a part of something extraordinary. And what we're going to talk about today is what is it that God is calling you to do? Where is he calling you to serve and share? Where is he calling you to join his mission? And are you and I listening and willing to say yes? Verse 2, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that through the bush, that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush, why the bush does not burn up. So Moses had been tending sheep for 40 years. He had seen it all. And what we know is that it was, not, it was so hot and so dry in this Middle East Sinai desert that it was not uncommon for bushes to spontaneously combust and burn. But it was uncommon for one to combust and not be consumed. And so Moses thinks, that's weird, so I'm going to go check that out. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses says, here I am. I love this. 
Moses was an obscure, forgotten shepherd in the middle of the desert. He was an absolute nobody in the eyes of the world. But what were God's first words to Moses? It was his name, Moses, Moses. The world may not have known who Moses was, but God knew who he was. Moses was important to God, and God had great plans for his life. Friends, I think often we feel this. You may be here today. You may feel like Moses. You live your life in obscurity. You feel forgotten by the world. You wonder if anything you do actually matters. This is a reminder that God knows your name. He knows you. You are important to him, and he cares for you just as he did Moses. Verse 5, God said, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their sufferings. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land. A land flowing with milk and honey. The home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Moses hears this good news, and he must have been overjoyed. He knew firsthand the oppression of his people. He had an obvious heart for his people. His his love for his people had fueled the anger uh, in his heart that had led him from Egypt. Moses cared, and he must have been overjoyed at this news, but also wondering why it mattered to him. He lived in the middle of nowhere. And then the bomb drops in verse 10. God says, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? So this is great news, but why do I have to be involved? Choose somebody, anybody else. We're going to spend most of our time on this today, but this is so often our response as well. We want to see God move. We want to see God save our neighbors, our community. We want to see God save our children. We want to have a place to come and worship God. We want to see God reach the nations. We want to see God reach our state. But God, please send somebody else. God, please use somebody else to share. God, please use somebody else to teach, to clean, to volunteer. God, I want to see you do great things, but why would you choose me? Send somebody else. Verse 12. And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. And then they ask, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. Moses says, who am I that you should send me? God says, it's me, the great I am, that will be with you and that sends you. At one point, Moses was a prince. Now he's been tending sheep for 40 years. He is humbled. His confidence is shot. He seems unworthy and unqualified. But it's the humble that God so often uses. Because the Exodus is not going to be a display of Moses' strength and intellect. But it is all about God and his strength, grace, love, and power. Verse 15. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation 
the generation. So Moses is unsure. We're going to skip ahead to chapter 4, and Moses' excuses start flying. Verse 1, Moses answered, Well, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and, and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, Put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It became white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. So God gives Moses three different signs to prove who he is to Moses and to the people. These are signs that he is to show the people to prove that God has talked to them. And these signs are significant. In the first two signs, we see God use what Moses already had, his staff and his hand. And in each case, the good was turned to bad, and then most significantly, it was transformed back to good again. We see Moses have to trust God in the uncertainty. He grabs the snake by the tail, and we see God transform it to a staff. But most significantly, we see God address two of Moses' objections here. In sign one, God says to Moses, if you obey me, your enemies will be made powerless like the serpent. And then secondly, if you obey me, your flaws and your sin will be made pure. And then we get to the third sign in which good, pure waters were made polluted and not returned to purity. This is a sign of God's judgment that would come if the people did not turn and believe in God. Verse 9 says, if they do not believe the first two signs or listen to your words. That shows that the sign of judgment was only to be given if unbelief persisted in the face of miracles of transformation. So if they saw the first two signs and didn't turn to God, if they saw these signs of graciousness and transformation and they didn't turn to God, then they would see the sign of judgment. This is such a great reminder to us to trust God, to turn to him when we have the opportunity. We are given the days of this life as an opportunity to turn to God. We have seen the transformation in life available in Jesus. We have seen the transformation play out in our friends and family members. We have seen the graciousness of God in our days. And so we are called to turn to him while we have a chance. The Bible says when we die, there are no more chances. What we decide, what we do in this lifetime, the Bible says, will echo in eternity. God is gracious. God is good. God is patient. But we have a limited window of time to respond. So have you believed? Have you seen the grace and believed? Have you trusted in him or gone your own way? Because as we will see with the Egyptians and Pharaoh, God reveals himself, but we have a choice of who we will follow. Verse 10, Moses keeps throwing out excuses. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouth? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, 
What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if your mouth, as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. We're going to jump ahead to verse 29. It says, Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped him. And so we end on a positive note. The people see the signs and they believed. They are humbled that God has seen their misery and they bow down and worship him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you uh, for this incredible narrative we see as you called Moses to, to be your deliverer, to be your messenger for the people in Egypt. And God, I pray that as we walk through this, Lord, that we would see what it is that you are calling us to whether it be calling us to faith for the first time, to surrender our lives, whether it be calling you to serve you in some specific way, whether it be calling us to share or to go, God, I pray that you would reveal that. And God, I pray that that you would give us the courage to say yes. And Lord, as we walk through this narrative, God, I pray that you would just reveal to us those areas where, where we are using the same excuses as Moses to say no. And God, I pray that we would not see our limitations, but we would see how great you are how good you are, how strong you are, and how mighty you are. And God, I pray that you would give us the courage and the excitement to jump on your plans for our lives. God, we love you, and we praise you, and it's your name we pray. Amen. So Moses had quite a life. He spent his first 40 years of his life in Egypt being trained and given the best the world had to offer. He spends the next 40 years of his life in Midian, in the desert, putting all of his education and training to use by shepherding his father-in-law's sheep. I'm sure Moses at this point had settled. He was comfortable and he was just living out his life without a whole lot of purpose and motivation when God interrupts. And God interrupts with a message that Moses is all about. God's going to rescue his people from Egypt and he's going to lead them to the promised land. God's about to do something incredible, and he wants Moses to lead the mission. To which Moses says, "Ah, I think I'm going to pass on that one, God. I think we first read that, and we're like, come on, Moses, tighten up your bootstraps and get to work. But here's the deal. I think we are all a lot more like Moses than we like to admit. I think we would all like to see God move, to see God save our neighbors and family members. We'd all like to see God move in our community and to see our church grow as friends and family members come to faith. We'd all like to see our nation return to God, whatever that would mean for you. We'd all like to see the gospel spread and nations across the world come to faith. We'd all love to see that. But are we willing to humble ourselves and give up our aspirations and step out of our comfort zones in order to be used by God to see those things happen? Moses was on board. He wanted to see his people rescued, but he just didn't want God to use him. After all, he was 80 years old. He had a decent life. He was set in his ways. He was ready to retire. The last thing he wants to do is to go back to Egypt and lead the people of Israel in an extended quest. But that's what God called Moses to do. That was going to be a lot of work. That's going to be a lot of stress. That's going to be a lot of difficult days for Moses. As we will see, life would have been a lot easier in Midian for Moses. But he would have missed out on God's amazing plans for his life. In the same way, most of us are pretty comfortable. Our lives are pretty good, and for the most part, they are pretty 
easy. Our lives are known and we have some control over them. And when God calls us to go and share our faith, to serve, to commit, to bring our family to church, to go, then it will always cost us our time, our energy, our comfort, and our ease. But like with Moses, when God calls and we obey, we get to be a part of God's greater plans. God is moving in our world. He is moving in our community. He is moving in our church. Will we say yes when he says go? And what we're going to see today and see throughout the Exodus story is that it's not about Moses. But it's all about God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, who is able and good. And when God calls us, it's not about us. But it's all about God who is more than able and has invited us to be a part of his life-saving plans. So Moses hears the call and he starts throwing out the excuses. And Moses throws out four different excuses and they are four of the most common excuses that we go to as well. So let's look at these for a minute. Moses' first excuse comes in chapter 3, verse 13. Moses says to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Or in other words, Moses says, I don't have all the answers. Moses is focusing on the excuse of his lack of knowledge instead of trusting the God who is all-knowing. Moses is saying, I don't know enough. I don't know about you, but I know I do this, but I think we use this excuse all the time. We can't do whatever it is God is calling us to do because we don't know enough. And then we go down that rabbit hole of hypotheticals just like Moses. What if they ask me this question or that question? I don't know all the answers to those. And we say, well, when I know more, or, or when I have had that training, or, or when I've watched that Bible study, or whatever it is, then I will share my faith. Or then I'll be able to help a church. We say, when I know more, then I will be open to God's call on my life. But here's the deal. We will never know enough, and we will never have all the answers. There will always be another hypothetical question that we don't know the answer to. God says to Moses, and he says to us, lean on me, trust me, and I will provide the knowledge and the answers you need. That doesn't mean we stop learning. That doesn't mean we stop coming to church. That doesn't mean we stop reading our Bibles. Of course not. But it means we can trust that when God calls, he will provide the resources, the knowledge, the tools we need to fulfill his calling on our life. Two real practical things on this. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you know enough to lead somebody else to faith. If you know the gospel, that Jesus lived a sinless life, that he died the death that your sin deserved, that he rose victorious over death, and he offers life to anyone that will follow after him, then you know enough to share and lead someone else to faith. Share the gospel and share how Jesus has transformed your life. Share what you already know. And the second practical thing is this. When someone asks you a question you don't know the answer to, that is quite okay. Just tell the person, I'm not sure about that. That is a great question. Let me go home and read my Bible or ask my pastor or ask a friend and I'll get back to you on that. Have the humility to say that and not to start making up answers. And then go home and do the research. If you come to a small group on Sunday nights, uh, all the time I tell you this. You ask me questions, I say, I don't know, but I'll go look it up and I'll report back. You don't have to know everything to share Jesus' hope, and you don't have to know everything to follow God's call. It just takes obedience and a humble heart that is willing to learn as you go. So that's excuse number one that we use. I don't know enough. The second excuse comes in chapter 4, verse 1. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord didn't appear to you? In other words, he says, I may not have all their respect. 
he focuses on what others might think of him rather than what God thought of him. God had laid out his plan for Moses once again in the second half of chapter 3. He had reminded him of who he is and told him specifically what he's going to do. And Moses' response is, God, what if they won't listen to me? God, these people know my past. They know I'm a murderer. They know I've been spending 40 years taking care of my my father-in-law's sheep. Why would they listen to me? And so the second excuse Moses uses and we use is that I'm a sinner, so I'm disqualified. We say that same thing. We say, God, you know that I've sinned. I know I've sinned. I live in a small town. The people around me know that I've sinned. Why would they respect me? Why would they listen to me? Don't we say that same thing? And the answer to the, again to that, to me and to you and to Moses is yes, you and I are sinners. We are sinners and we in our own power are unworthy to be listened to. But the message of the gospel is not that you and I have come to save. But the message of the gospel is that God has come to save. We're not called to proclaim our own merit, but we are called to proclaim God who has saved us despite our sinfulness. We are called to proclaim God, not ourselves. But we so quickly disqualify ourselves because of our past. We focus on how we see ourselves or how how others might perceive us instead of how God sees us. The the, the gospel, God's plan for reaching the world is to use broken people to save others but we must be willing to get beyond ourselves and our past mistakes and serve him. Because the reality is if God can use a murderer in Moses, then he can use you. If he can use a murdering adulterer like David, he can use you. If he can use a prostitute like Rahab, then he can use you. If he can use a young man like Josiah, then he can use you. If he can use an old man like Abraham and Moses, he can use you. If he can use a beauty queen like Esther, he can use you. If he can use a carpenter like Joseph, he can use you. If he can use a teenage girl like Mary, he can use you. Don't let the way the world views you or the way you view yourself get in the way of how God views you. The Bible tells tells us that God views you as a forgiven saint, a forgiven child that he longs to use. Don't waste your life trying to clean yourself up when God has already made you clean and forgiven you. So at this point, Moses, God gives Moses those three signs of who he is, his power, and he reminds Moses that he will be with him on this journey. It's those three signs that we talked about earlier. And God says, if they don't believe you, then show them these signs. Because once again, when God calls, he equips. And when God calls, it's all about him and not us. In the same way, God has given us the greatest sign of his goodness, faithfulness, and power in the form of Jesus. If we are a follower of Jesus, we have been forgiven of our sins. We have been assured of our future, and we have felt God's faithfulness and provision. We have received and experienced the ultimate sign of God's faithfulness. And then on top of that, we have been promised God's presence moment by moment, step by step, in the form of the Holy Spirit. We have seen the sign of Jesus. We have experienced His faithfulness and forgiveness, and we have been promised His presence. But our excuses don't end there, and they don't end there for Moses. Verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and tongue. In other words, Moses says, I don't have the ability. And he focuses on his lack rather than God's abundance. So excuse three is I don't have the ability. I'm not able. I think we all have our go-to excuses. For me, this is mine. God, I just don't have the ability. 
God, I don't have the right personality. God, God, you, you made me an introvert. That was, that was your decision. God, I don't like calling people on the phone. God, I'm not good at public speaking. God, I don't have the ability. In both high school and college, I was required to take a speech class. And in both high school and college, I took speech spring semester of my senior year because I dreaded it the whole four years. I told God for years, I don't have the ability, and you probably want to aim in that statement every week. But what, but what has God called me to do? He calls me to stand up here every week and speak. And I think sometimes God has a sense of humor, but more than that, I think God uses our weaknesses to proclaim his glory. As we said, when God calls, it's not about us and our greatness, but it's all about God and his glory. And so every week I am forced to stand up here in humility because I know I can't do it on my own. And I'm forced to trust God each and every week. And that's what God calls Moses to do. And Moses says, I'm not able. Just as we often say, I'm not able. I love God's response in verse 11. He says, I can't speak. And the Lord says to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, Moses. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. God says to Moses, you're not getting it. It's not about you. I made your mouth. I gave you your personality. I gave you your abilities. And I'm calling you to serve me in this way. And I will give you the abilities to fulfill that which I'm calling you to. And that's a promise that God has for you and I as well. No matter what he is calling you to do, no matter who he is calling you to share with, he will give you the ability you need despite yourself. If you trust him and step out in faith. If God's calling you to share the gospel with a friend, then trust he will give you the words and the answers you need. If God's calling you to lead a Bible study, then trust he will give you the ability to do so. If God's calling you to be out, stand out there and be a greeter, then trust he will give you the smile and kindness necessary. If God's calling you to be a preschool volunteer, then trust he will give you an abundance of patience. If God's calling you to love your neighbor, then trust he will give you love despite your cantankerous attitude. It's not about yours and my abilities. It's about God's ability to use us. And after God answers these first three excuses from Moses comes the reality of Moses' heart. And we see that in verse 13. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Please send someone else. And sadly, I think this is often at the root of my heart and our hearts when we say no to God. We want to see God move, but we don't want to be the one God uses. Please send someone else. Please send someone else for they're more qualified than I. And the bottom line is Moses doesn't want to do what God's calling him to do. And up to this point, God has been really patient with him. He has reassured Moses and answered his questions with grace. He's provided evidence. But here when Moses says, please send someone else, it says that God became angry with him. If God calls you, he will be patient, but he does not accept disobedience. And Moses' fourth excuse is flat-out disobedience. And it's this, I'm not as qualified as others. Send someone else. And here Moses is focusing on his own limitations rather than on God's qualifications. George Mueller said of faith, Faith does not operate in the realm of the possible, for there is no glory for God in that which, which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. You see, God's glory, God's might, and God's power is best seen when he uses us beyond our limitations. It is the fact that God can use an eloquent, stubborn, 80-year-old murderer that we recognize God's power. And it's then that we give God glory for his work. 
for the work he has done. And so when God calls you and I, he probably won't, we probably won't be the ideal candidate in the eyes of the world, but we'll be the right candidate for the job because God has called us. When God calls you to share your faith or serve him, don't be like Moses and avoid the task, but step out in faith and obedience to that which God has called you to do. And there is one task that God has called each and every Christian to, and that is to share his good news with a lost and dying world. And each and every one of us probably would prefer he send somebody else. We all feel unqualified and unable. We feel like we don't know enough or we've failed too many times. But God has called us and he will equip us and give us the words we need to share. He will use our faithfulness to transform and save the lives of those around us. God has called, he will equip, and he will use us to save those we love for eternity. If we're faithful to say yes. Acts 4.13 is is one of my favorite verses in the Bible and one of the the most encouraging and empowering verses that I go back to over and over. It says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Peter and John were unschooled, ordinary men, but because they had been with Jesus, they were doing incredible things. In the same way, we have been filled with the Holy Spirit, saved by Jesus' blood, and called by God to be his witnesses to the world. It doesn't matter who we are. God is in the business of using ordinary people like you and I to impact the world for him. I think that's one of the most freeing, empowering, exciting things that I read in the Bible. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's all about God. It's all about Jesus and his power that matters. So if God calls, go. So those are four of the common excuses that we use when God calls. And we see that God is gracious to answer Moses, yet he doesn't let Moses out of his calling. In the same way, God is gracious and he is patient with us, but he does not relieve us from our mandate to to share the gospel or from whatever he's specifically calling us to do. God called Moses, and we're going to see God equip Moses for his call. And God's going to use Moses to do incredible things. In the same way God has called you, he will equip you, and he will use you to do incredible things for his glory. But the question is, will you be obedient and say yes? So that's our final point, our final question as we wrap up today. Will you say yes to whatever it is God is calling you to do? Emily's going to come, and she's going to just play for us, and we're going to have some time to reflect. And as she does, this is the question that we are going to wrestle with. Will you say yes to God's call. And so the first question we have to ask is, what is it he's calling you to? For you, maybe it's he's calling you to faith, to surrender for the first time. Maybe you know or or you're beginning to believe and understand who Jesus was, believing and understanding that he lived a sinless life, that he came and died the death that your sin deserved, and he is calling you to trust him with your life, to step out in faith and to follow after him. If that's you, would you surrender and trust him for the first time today? Or maybe you are a follower of Jesus, and you know God is calling you to something. I don't know what it is. He's calling you something specific, or he's calling you to share. And in this set of excuses, you saw your favorite one. Maybe today he's, letting you, he's calling you to let go of that excuse and to trust him. Maybe he's calling you to go and to share. Who is it? Where is he calling you to go and share? Maybe he's calling you to go and just serve. Where and who is he calling you to serve? Or maybe you're someone that he is calling to give up their life, 
to render, surrender your future to serve as a, a church planter or a pastor or a missionary or some other capacity. If that's you, would you say yes to that? Would you give up your life to follow God? So I'm going to pray for us. And after I pray for us, Emily's going to play. And as she plays, I just ask you to bow your head and to ask the question, what is it you're calling me to do, God? And then ask the question, will I say yes? God, we thank you for the story and example we have in Moses. God, we thank you that you didn't let Moses off the hook, but that you held him to his call. Lord, we thank you that you provided all he needed and that you used him to do incredible things. God, we thank you that you have chosen to use us, just broken people, to be the messengers of your great message, your message of hope and eternity to the world. So God, I pray that you would call us and we would say yes to whatever it is. And God, I pray if there's someone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, God, I pray that you would reveal who you are to them and, and reveal their need for you, Lord, and that they might find the life, eternal life in you as they surrender and follow after you. God, would you call them and give them the courage to trust you? And Lord, for those of us here that have followed you for a long time, Lord, would you, would you uh, just reveal quite clearly what it is you're calling us to do? who you're calling us to go to, who you're calling us to serve, who you're calling us to share with, where you're calling us to serve and share. And Lord, would you give us the courage and faithfulness to say yes. And God, as we say yes, Lord, we pray that you would provide an abundance, that you would provide all that we need, all of the knowledge and ability we need to serve you just as you did for Moses. And God, I pray that as we say yes, that you would move. And I pray that many in our community might know the hope and life that's available in you alone. So, God, I pray that you would give us the courage to say yes. And, God, I pray that you will move as only you can move. God, we love you and we praise you in your name we pray.